surround yourself with the right people who are motivated, hardworking, positive. Put yourself on a track to do things that you're really excited to do, not to spend time doing things you're not excited to do. And spend the majority of your day challenging yourself. And that challenging yourself, that self-fulfillment refeeds itself and you get this nice, positive, virtuous cycle of motivation, achievement, motivation, achievement. And that's how you get that upward spiral of success in almost any part of your life. The voice you just heard is Michael Cassetta, my brother from another mother. Michael graduated from Harvard and has been a top executive in four different companies just in the past 10 years. In this conversation, he offers sound advice for building a business or for getting ahead in the company you're a part of now. Put on your mental track shoes and get ready to run with me and one of the leading business executives in my circle. Let's go. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. I'm going to begin today's episode with a little bit of an anecdote before I introduce our guest for the day. A long time ago, Vector Marketing and Cutco used to have this voicemail system that every manager was on where we could leave messages for other managers and connect with people all across the country. You could look them up by their name. And uh, it would tell you, you know, John Smith left a message. Would you like to hear it? Or Mary Jones left a message. Would you like to hear it? And you hit one and then you'd hear the message and be able to respond right back at the end. So one day I'm driving down Highway 85 in the southern part of San Jose. I'm driving in my car and I'm listening to my messages and I hear Michael Cassetta left you a message and I nearly drove my car off the freeway. I was so stunned that this other guy had my name. I'm like, what is going on? There's another Cassetta in the Cutco Vector world. And yes, indeed, there was another Cassetta. He was a relatively new manager in the New York area. He spells his name slightly different than I do, but uh, he is my brother from another mother. He is my paisan from the home country of Italy, and he is our fantastic guest for today, Mr. Michael Cassetta. Michael, thanks for being here. Dan, great to be here. It's crazy that that story is probably 18 or 19 years old now, which is terrifying for both of us. (laughs) Indeed, that is correct. Michael has been in the Cutco business since 2000. So the story is 18 or 19 years old. He worked with Cutco Vector for about 12 and a half years while going to school at Harvard. And in the years after his graduation from Harvard, 
He, after leaving Cutco, worked at Structured Web. He was the vice president of sales and marketing. Michael then was recruited to come work at Square in San Francisco and advanced to become the global head of sales for Square. Had an amazing gig going there and left that not too long ago to go back to New York City to work with Compass, the real estate company where he is the chief sales and strategy officer for an amazing growing business. So really excited to have you here today, Michael, and looking forward to having an awesome conversation. Same. Let's do it. Yeah. So much to talk about. Exactly. Well, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about how you started with Cutco Vector back in 2000? So it was pretty random. And I think for a lot of people, it ended up being random in the sense that I, I had two jobs lined up that summer. It was my sophomore. I just finished my freshman year. Uh, going into my sophomore year, uh, 2000 was a pretty rough time for the stock market, as you probably remember. And the two jobs I both had lined up uh, fell through. One for budget reasons, one just company you know changed priorities. But uh, I'm sitting at home two weeks without a job in the summer, and I and I get this letter in the mail, uh, and I open it up, and it was it was like fifteen dollars something, and I'm like, listen, I don't care what I have to do, uh, I can't sit on my my couch all summer and do nothing. So uh, I went in, I you know did the interview, and it was selling Cutco, and I'm like, listen, I don't know a thing about selling anything. Uh, I was a nerdy biochemistry major, you know, at the time. So I'm like, I could grow doing this. I could learn new stuff. I could figure this out. And that's how I started. And that was my first summer. I was June, I think it was June 14th or 15th of 2000 that I interviewed. And June 17th of 2000 was my first day uh, actually having sold anything. First day ever selling a thing uh, in my life. Wow. It's fascinating that you were a biochem major because when I think of you, I think about like your greatness in the sales industry and in sales and sales management and all of what you've done both in and out of Vector and Cutco. So it's pretty cool that uh, you had never sold anything, never had any sales experience, but took this on. What were some of the lessons from your early experiences that you feel like you've been you know, utilizing to this day? I mean, I think you just hinted at it, which is as a science kid and as someone I would consider to be a nerdy, you know, relatively quiet, introverted person growing up, it, it, it pulled the extrovert out of me. And it made me realize that I truly am, you know, someone who can sell. And I think sales became very formulaic. And it was like, well, first, I I learned that I could sell. Second, I learned I could teach people how to sell. Third, I realized sales can be trained to almost anyone as long as you broke it down into the individual components. And I think when people first learn how to sell, it's that achievement factor, that, that feeling of having overcome something, the feeling of having set a goal and achieved it, that it's like, well, if I could set a goal to sell something and do it, then I could set a goal to do anything, you know, whether it be for people to lose weight, to run a mile, to, to build a house, to paint a, a, a mural, whatever, whatever the goals are people have in their mind. Um, and for me, it was really an empowering feeling. And learning how to sell was so much more than about selling a product. It was about me just learning how to have better control, you know, over myself. If you listen, if you listen to a David Goggins podcast, he talks about training your mind and training your, your brain to think about things a certain way. And I think sales naturally does that. And that's something I'll never forget. It's something that stuck with, with me for quite a long time. And becoming a sales manager is about teaching that and instilling that in others and convincing people they can do anything they set out to as long as they see it the right way, approach it the right way, follow through, set a goal, drive forward, and you know almost anything becomes achievable. I love what you said about achieving goals and selling relating and equating to people being able to achieve other goals outside of selling in mm-hmm. other areas of their life. I can remember hearing Jim Rohn, my favorite 
author, speaker, mm-hmm. personal development guru, who I'm sure you've studied a lot as well. He teaches the idea that you know there's two ways to live. One way is making a living and the other way is designing a life. And most people live you know, by making a living. They're paycheck to paycheck. They're doing what they're doing this week, what they did last week and what they're going to do next week. And it's the same old, same old. And they end up years later looking back thinking, what the heck was I doing with all my time with my life? But designing a life is a greater way to live. And really what that's all about is setting and achieving small goals over and over again, building confidence and gradually learning to up-level those goals. And uh, you know, you began learning how to set and achieve small sales goals with Cutco and achieve those and then pulled that into management and eventually up-level that to where you're, you know, have been one of the most influential people at several uh, of the biggest companies in the world. So it's pretty cool yeah. to think about how that path has gone. What are some other like memorable experiences from your Cutco career? I think being so young and training and managing other people as a 19-year-old having 300 people on a sales team or having recruited and trained over 300 people in a summer, it's just something most people don't have an opportunity to do. And, and you take so much from that of every person you train, you remember something about. And every person who works, you remember something and you learn how to train the next person. You get better and better every step of the way. And again, I think the concept of being a 19-year-old and doing that, the most memorable thing is that you can do it at 19, you can do it at 29, you can do it at 49. It doesn't matter. And it taught me that you can actually really train people to do things far beyond what they ever thought they were going to be able to do. And, you know, I mean, the basic ones for me, I mean, I, I remember my first sale like it was yesterday. I remember my first promotion. Uh, I remember my fast start. I remember, you know, running an office for the first time. I remember being promoted to being a DBM. And the idea then of just managing managers who were managing other managers who were managing salespeople and, you're learning the true art of influence and watching other people hit those same achievements, hit the same goals, do the same things. You know, that, those are the things you remember forever. You know, the pictures, the stories, the parties, the, the conferences, the, you know, the, the celebrations of all these little wins along the way, you know, adding emotion to these things. Again, things you'll never forget, you know, for your entire career, let alone your life. But, you know, these are the stories I still tell to people today far removed from the cut the world because the, the parallels are there. You know, whatever you're doing, it's, it's still the same idea. You know, like you said, these little goals, the achievements along the way, you know, set your sights on something, think bigger about what you can do, think bigger about what you're capable of doing, you know, and you'll probably figure out a way to overachieve even your own expectations. Wow, that's an amazing lesson. Now, did you become a branch manager your second summer? No, I was pilot sales manager two summers. Okay. Great. So you essentially ran the division headquarters office. Who was the division manager you were working? Right. Uh, J.P. Hamill, once in uh, Maryland, in Rockville, Maryland, the second summer in Bergen County, New Jersey. Ah, oh, outstanding. That's really cool. And then uh, I understand you, know, you graduated from Harvard. Why did you choose to stay in Vector when you finished at Harvard? I guess the general decision I made was to own my own business. And a lot of the friends that I had who were graduating were going into jobs that, that were great. There's nothing wrong with being a consultant, being an investment banker, being whatever, going to med school, going to law school. A, I knew I did not want to go to medical school or law school. I was done with school. I felt like I could keep learning forever, but um, I was done with the overhead of being in school. Um, the second was I didn't want to do a job that I felt people were doing for one reason and one reason only. It's, it's just to make money. I'm like, you can make money anywhere. 
but can you be truly happy? Can you truly learn? Can you grow? Can you learn something about yourself that geometrically changes your capabilities and your, your vision of the future of your career? And, you know, some of these other jobs are amazing and I have nothing against them. But for me, I knew I wanted to run my own thing. And I knew I wanted to own my own company and start my own business. And being a district manager was an opportunity to do that with structure, with a process, with a playbook, with a support system. And, you know, most people, when they start a business, they're completely out on their own. No guidelines, no guardrails, no path forward, no playbook. It's just like, hey, good luck. Um, and this almost felt like I was starting a franchise within a much larger business. And to me, that was such a really good, almost training ground to figure out exactly how I could grow and how I could keep growing. So in those years when you were working as a manager, as a division manager, you were learning how to lead, you were learning how to run a business, you're following this mm-hmm. model that you know Vector provided for you. I've noticed you've advanced so quickly and so just amazingly in your roles you've had since Vector. You know, were there some things that you, skills you gained, experiences you had in leadership during those years as a district and division manager that have enabled you to move up more quickly since then in these other yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, there's a few. One is think at scale. You know, so don't just solve a problem for the, the one instance in front of you. Solve it for the next 20 that probably come along the way. Don't solve it for one person. Solve it for all the types of people who you probably are going to have to work with and influence down the line. Um, the second is the art of influence because you have no control over what people do every single day. But if you give them the right goals and get them to believe in the goals and show them how to achieve the goal, then at least you've given them all the tools necessary to do the right things on a daily basis. And, you know, always going back to teaching people why. Why is this important? Why do you want to do this? You tell me why you want to do this. Why do you think this will work? Why don't you think it'll work? Tease out objections beforehand so mentally you can start solving those problems before they catch you by surprise um, and bite you in the ass because you can't, you know, because you weren't prepared for them. Um, the other is being able to manage large groups of people standing in front of large groups of people, uh, whether it be, you know, your own salespeople, a division meeting, other people, salespeople, uh, being able to stand in front of a group and, and convey a vision, convey a topic, train on a topic. Uh, those are things that no one ever trains on. No one ever teaches people how to do those. Uh, and I see very seasoned executives across many companies who are very poor public speakers and do not inspire and they do not deliver a clear message, not because they're incapable, just again, it's not a, a, a thing people have typically trained on. Um, the most important easily is, is just how to interact and how to, how to manage an individual. How do you actually connect with another human being? How do you get this person to want to do what, yeah, it's technically their job, um, but how do you get them to really want to do more and overachieve and to set bigger goals and managing independent contractors that you have to do that because technically they don't have to work at all. Right. You know, managing employees is a little different, but if you can treat an employee and manage them and influence them the same way you do an independent contractor, uh, I think you actually end up, you know, magnifying the capability of that person because yes, they have to do the job, but now that you've trained them how to do it well and gotten them inspired to do it and given them objectives and reasons why that person achieves so much more than I think they typically would anywhere else. Wow, that's fantastic, Michael. Thank you for sharing those points. Yeah. I think those are very valuable. So you left Vector in uh, early 2013. Uh, mm-hmm. You wound up at Square three and a half years or so later. What did you do in the interim that you feel like it would be worth sharing? And then ultimately, tell us uh, how you ended up in San Francisco and working at Square. Sure. So uh, one thing that I did become addicted to, uh, thanks to the time at Vector, was travel. 
And travel is something that I can never lose as part of my life. It's something if I don't sit on an airplane um, within a certain period of time, I go stir crazy. Um, and now I travel 150 days a year for work. Uh, but it, that that love for travel started, you know, when I was there, when I was 18, 19 years old. So when I decided to leave, I actually committed six months to myself uh, to not work, to just travel. And six months become seven months, seven months became eight months. And finally, after eight months, I decided to, you know, put my my job search mindset back in place. And I ended up at a company in New York City called Structured Web, uh, which is a sales and marketing automation company entirely targeted at very large tech companies who sell through resellers, distribution, and other very complicated structures. So um, the CEO of that company uh, was a friend of a friend. Um, so that's how I had gotten connected over there and just ended up being a good fit to run their sales and marketing teams. Uh, after three years there, went to Square. Uh, Square recruited me out of New York uh, to come to San Francisco. Uh, you know I'm a New Yorker at heart. So to get me to move out of New York to the West Coast, it had to be a pretty amazing opportunity. Uh, the sunshine is hard to say no to. Napa Valley is hard to avoid. But uh, Square was an opportunity that I could not say no to. It was a rocket ship. Um, it was right before the IPO. So getting a chance to see a company go from private to public um, is just a fascinating thing to be able to experience um, and spent three years there having a chance to run uh, at first just the enterprise and mid-market sales group um, and what we consider the upmarket you know, um, version of the program. Um, version of, of the system, but then after taking on all global sales, um, so every aspect of sales, business development, you know, new sales um, it, across U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K., um, and Japan, which was just an incredible time. Yeah, tell us more about the role that you had there and some of the successes that you experienced there. Yeah, we went from being um, a very small sales team, you know, in the the tens of people. Uh, to a sales team in the hundreds and going from one country to five countries and, you know, being able to do that again, being able to build linearly from 40 to 200 is one challenge. Uh, being able to add mid market and enterprise sales and business development on top of it and platform sales and partner sales and international. Um, it's, it's almost like having another job every single time you have to do one of those. So you have to really twist your brain and say, okay, what from the existing system is going to work here? What clearly will not work? What do I have to learn? Where are my gaps? Who do I have to bring in to be able to do that? Um, and over time, I and mean, we became one of the largest growth engines for that company. And it's a company that was built mostly on very small businesses and micro businesses, you know, just the, the basic square reader that most people know. But uh, our team was very influential in building the enterprise products, the APIs, the platform products. Uh, and today, the large sellers, the bigger businesses that operate on Square, um, account for more than 50% of the company revenue. Um, and, you know, Square is now well over a $30 billion company. Uh, and at the time of IPO, we were about a $3 billion business. So seeing a company 10x in front of you uh, is really an unbelievable thing. And with that comes chaos and hyper growth problems and, you know, changing courses and changing speeds and changing decisions and, you know, having to rapid hire people. Um, those are just, the, those are great problems. And thankfully, we've got a chance to experience all of them. Yeah, that's outstanding. Now, in the course of that, you got to work with Jack Dorsey, right? He was mm -hmm. the CEO of Square and he was also the CEO at Twitter, right? Yeah. So he's truly one of the most prominent business leaders in America today. And I think it would be awesome for our listeners to be able to gain a little bit of an insight into what it was like working with someone like him. What were some of his strengths? What could you teach us in relation to 
working with Jack that you think would be helpful for people to hear? I think he will go down as one of the top innovators in the 21st century, without a doubt. I mean, he founded Twitter, which is a 300 million user social media platform, of course, and is currently the CEO of Twitter. Um, he founded Square, which has 3 million business customers, you know, still the CEO of Square. And Square also now has Cash App, which has 10 million plus individual users uh, on their platform as well. So, I mean, you really talked about an unbelievable entrepreneur and someone who's been able to build world-changing products um, and economically changing products in terms of really driving total consumer behavior in a different direction. So from an innovator standpoint, being able to listen to and learn from a person who's clearly a genius and who sees the world in a way that the vast majority of people do not see it. And he lives in the future. And I think one of the things that I always take away from Jack is don't live in the present because today is done. You have to live five years from now or three years from now or 50 years from now or 10,000 years from now and just start to really force and stress test your brain into these different dimensions uh, to truly be creative and to truly think about what is possible. Um, the other thing with Jack is Jack is a master um, of clarity and transparency. Uh, and I, what I mean, if you've ever read the book Radical Candor, it's not so much radical as much as it's just pure candor. No holds barred, nothing is hidden, nothing is clouded, shaded. It's pure transparency. It is pure, genuine communication, you know, open and honest communication. And I think he built cultures within these businesses where people really feel empowered and people collaborate, which brings out the creative side of people. No one is too senior or too junior uh, to make a decision if it's the right decision for the business. And I think just empowering people that way and ends up really freeing people's creativity and autonomy to go build things faster and to build things um, in a way that allows them to put their brains truly to work. Um, you know, if you read Hatching Twitter, which is probably the older version of Jack, uh, I don't think that version of Jack exists anymore, uh, you know, where he was a first time founder and startup CEO. And obviously there, there's probably an ego that comes that and, and a, a need to prove yourself. After having built Twitter and then having built Square, I don't think he had that anymore. He really is one of the people I can honestly say has zero ego. Um, any part of his brain, I don't think has ego. But at the same time, again, he's, he's one of the geniuses of technology today. Uh, and I really believe he will go down as one of the best. Wow, that's cool to hear. You know, when you describe the idea of a master of clarity, a master of transparency, one of the things that came to my mind was something that Andrew Bosworth, who you know, mm -hmm. said about Mark Zuckerberg, about how Mark invites feedback of all sorts, mm -hmm. whether it's supportive feedback or right. contradictory feedback. He invites that and it creates an environment where people feel comfortable debating, mm -hmm. you know, what is the right path? What is the right product? What is the right thing we should do in this decision to make here? And I, I think that creates a lot of sort of psychological security for employees. And it also, when you have that environment where people are willing to offer feedback, even when it is contradictory, that's where you accelerate the learning, right? That's where the growth has a potential to be much more mm -hmm. exponential. And it right. seems like that's what Jack has facilitated Apple, Twitter, and at Square. Would you agree that he's, you know, that culture? Not even welcome feedback, but almost demand feedback and demand candor. And it's an expectation that your opinion really matters no matter what it is. Because if you assume you hired smart people and you assume they're still there for a reason, well, then they probably know a hell of a lot more about the day-to-day -day or the details of something than maybe someone more senior does. So 
what you end up seeing happen is by having that open feedback, nothing is hidden. There's no secrets. There are no surprises. There are no, you know, A looks like B because you, you made it look that way. It's like you, it just is what it is. And when you can all speak the same language and when you all trust that everyone else is operating under the same expectations and same framework where no one's worried about stepping on toes, no one's worried about, you know, someone talking behind their back, no one is worried about, um, making someone feel bad because it's just about reality. It's just about talking about what is working, what's not working, what, you know, what exists and what doesn't exist. So I think it's one of the most powerful aspects of, of his leadership. It sounds like Mark Zuckerberg has a very similar mindset. And I think as these companies grow, um, it's so easy for things to be hidden because there are so many layers, so many people, so many complexities to the business that if you don't have that transparent culture, when a problem starts to fester, it's going to sit there for way too long. And by the time you catch mm. it, it's going to be too late. So I think it's the only way you truly have people empowered to go solve problems versus just pointing at the problem and then blaming someone else for it. I think that's a great lesson for so many young leaders to hear because I feel like sometimes, especially when you think about the kind of leaders that we have in Cutco and Vector, who are, are oftentimes are, as you said, 19 years old, 20, 21, 22, mm-hmm. running sales organizations and feeling like they have to overcompensate for being young by acting strong and acting like they know everything when they don't have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. Right. We can facilitate constructive feedback and input from all of our colleagues and peers and subordinates, you know, both above and below, people both mm-hmm. above and below us. The faster we learn and the more our organizations grow. I agree. Yeah, you need that. No need to overcompensate. Yeah, awesome. Let's talk a little bit about Compass. I want to find out. So you're, mm-hmm. you're working at Square. You've 10X'd this company. It's a multi-billion dollar company. You are presumably getting paid extraordinarily well. And you left because you felt like Compass is going to revolutionize the whole real estate industry. So tell us why you left Square and what do you see happening at Compass? So you don't leave a place like Square for nothing, right? You have to leave for something you perceive to be this game-changing or life-changing opportunity as well. So from a selfish perspective, there are a few very personal reasons why I left. One was to go back to New York. Um, as, as you probably also know, I'm not the biggest fan of the city of San Francisco, but I'm also a huge fan of New York. So being able to go back home where my family is, a lot of my friends are, was really crucial. Um, the second thing was to be able to take another step up in my career, which this was a faster path into a C-level you know, chief executive role um, then I was going to get it square and not that square was going to hold me back. It's just, it was a very successful business. So, uh, there were a lot of amazing people doing amazing things there. It's not like you could just go displace them, you know, just cause I wanted to get promoted. So, uh, part of it was that, uh, but when you look at what Compass is, Compass is today a $4 billion, uh, real estate technology company. And the, re- the real estate world is the largest asset class in the world, more than stocks, more than bonds, more than, today, still more than Bitcoin, more than Ethereum, more than actually all of them combined. And it's about a hundred to $200 trillion industry across the world. Um, now, obviously, you can boil it down to many different components. But if you get even just a little bit of that right, obviously, you have a massive, amazing opportunity. You know, If you get a lot of it right, you can literally build one of the biggest, most game-changing companies in the world. And that's the mission. That's the goal. It's a very complicated business. There are a lot of players. It's, it's run through brokerages and through agents. And it's a very technology-starved industry. So the world I come from, obviously, is a world where you merge sales and technology. And the real estate industry is largely a sales industry. Well, 
I figured I could take the tech background I've learned over the past 10 years, you know, whether it be consulting startups or the work I've done at Structured Web or the work I did at Square and put that technology world and the selling of technology into the hands of really an amazing sales force, which today we have 12,000 real estate agents. And who knows how many we'll have at the end of the year, at the end of next year. But if you can teach the right people how to sell, well, if they already know how to sell, you put the right tools in their hands and let them become more efficient, more productive. Uh, and all of a sudden, you you can create something that the real estate industry itself has never seen before. Wow. So tell us about your specific role there and just mm-hmm. what your day-to-day uh, work looks like. So every dollar that comes in from the agents, which today is 99 plus percent of our revenue, uh, it's my responsibility to grill. So as the chief sales officer, it's to take the sales number and of course grow at 20, 30, 40, 50% year over year uh, for quite a long time. And, you know, we'll be, we'll do about 2 billion in revenue this year, you know, and that means next year my job is going to be to grow that again, probably a hundred percent. So it's, it's an expectation of continued hyper growth. And obviously you can grow sales in many ways. You can add more agents and that's actually not what I'm responsible for. My responsibility starts when they get in our door. Um, of the different programs, the different products, the different solutions we can provide to them that really make them more efficient and more productive. And when there are 12,000 of them, very similar to the independent contractor world of Cutco, they, they are all independent. So how do you motivate them? How do you inspire them? How do you give them the right tools that they want to use? How do you point them in the right direction? How do you teach them how to set goals? Um, so there's quite a bit of a training and enablement component to the business as well. And obviously, I can't do it all on my own. We have hundreds of sales managers and we have general managers and we have regional presidents who, you know, they're responsible for the numbers in each of their own regions. But uh, my mission is to build products and to build technology and to build solutions that we could put into the market that affect the majority of those agents who are out there selling every day. Wow, that's cool. It sounds like uh, an amazing challenge and also uh, a lot of fun. It is, no doubt. Now, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was the idea that uh, while you were a manager in Vector, you learned a lot about influence. And you talked about the idea of, you know, one-on-one connection and influence. The true art of influence were the words you used a little earlier. And I'd love to have you speak to that concept a little bit more and what makes somebody, not just a person who can you know, get people fired up in the short term, but somebody who can influence people over the long term down a certain path towards success. What are some of the attributes and qualities that uh, you feel like go into that? So I used to teach people the concept of see, follow, and share, which is you want people to see the epitome of whatever you want them to see. So you, if you want them to see you motivated, you want them to see you working hard, you want them to see you striving to achieve something you want to see you want them to see you struggle but overcoming it and keeping a positive attitude and uh, you know the first step is crucial because if they see you do that then the next step is they typically start to follow that and they become aware of it and they start to try to repeat and emulate a lot of the actions that that they're seeing because you would assume most people want to be positive they want to work harder they want to be motivated they want to achieve things so once they start seeing them then they start following them And typically, when people start to follow something, they then start to tell other people about it. Just like when people, you know, watch a TV show and they really like it, they then go tell other people about it. Well, when they start doing things that they're really excited about, they start telling other people about the things that they're doing. And now they've taken over the C step, where now they are the person that other people are watching work hard and 
be positive and achieve things. And, and again, you could put this, you can apply this to anything, whether it's academic, whether it's professional, personal, someone who wants to lose weight and they actually show up at the gym every morning and tell other people about it. Well, eventually other people show up to the gym and start telling other people about it, which causes other people to show up. And now you've created a culture of, of, you know, effort and, you know, perseverance and discipline, um, without ever having to tell someone to do anything. And that's the key. So it's like you do it, give people an opportunity to see you do it. And naturally people start to share it. And you've created this culture around you um, where in essence, you've now influenced all of those people to do the things that you probably were already doing. Um, and there's a, another concept that you've talked about many times, which is to teach out loud, you know, and to think out loud and to share out loud the things that maybe we take for granted, like, if you read a book, blows my mind that like 90% of people have not read a book probably in the last year of their life. You know, I think I read three books in the past six days. And it's, it, I take it for granted because I love to read and I love to learn. But to other people, if they don't know you did that because you didn't tell them you did it. There's no inspiration for people to go read more or to learn more, or to listen to something more, listen to a podcast, to watch a video, uh, to watch a video series, do anything. So to really share out loud the things you're trying to do, um, the other idea is that if you have a goal and you keep it a secret, it's no longer a goal. Um, a goal has to be shared. And the second it's shared, it becomes real. And now there's public accountability to it. Tony Robbins calls that public leverage. You know, if you want to quit smoking, you don't tell anyone. Again, it's a secret. If you want to quit smoking, you put it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, a billboard, you know, tattoo it on your forehead. All of a sudden, if someone sees you smoke, like, oh, look at this idiot. You know, he didn't follow his goal. So, uh, sharing, I think, is a really big part of getting other people to do things just because, again, they see you doing them. There's a natural emulative process mm -hmm. that happens from that. That's outstanding. I love that. See, follow, share. So, you know, there's a lot of young entrepreneurial minded people in uh, Vector and Cutco who will be listening to this and, and a lot of, you know, not so young entrepreneurs that will be listening mm -hmm. as well. But in particular, I want to get you thinking about the 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old young entrepreneurs yep. that would be listening to this podcast. And all of them, I'm sure, would say, man, I would love to be in a position like that guy when I'm still in my 30s down the road. What advice would you have to you know, entrepreneurs of all ages of how they can accelerate their path, accelerate their growth mm -hmm. uh, along the path to success uh, like you have? I would, I'm going to give two thoughts probably two bigger thoughts. One, one's more subtle and one's more blunt. The subtle one is, is you can always do more than you assume you can do. And, you know, that could be, you know, if you're a, a sales rep and you don't think you can be a branch, I promise you can be a branch. You know, if you're selling and you don't think you can win a silver cup, I promise you can win a silver cup. It's just a matter of putting enough desire and leverage and discipline and, and repetition behind it to be able to get yourself there. Um, the great way to know if that's actually true in practice is if someone were to offer you a million dollars to do just that thing, I have a feeling you will figure out how to do it. Um, if someone said you had to wake up every morning at four o'clock, no matter what, and if you miss one day, you don't get the prize. But if you wake up every day at 4 a.m. and you hit this buzzer and a, and a million dollars comes out at the end of the year, I promise you will never miss an alarm, mm -hmm. you know, for that entire time. So just that belief that there's always this bigger, better, more amazing self, you know, of you that, that you can do. Um, the second is a very blunt statement, which is just don't screw up. And by don't screw up, I mean, there are bad decisions people make in their life that they hold on to for a very long time. Um, and without going through what those can be in people's lives, there are 
big negative things that can sit on someone's record, sit on someone's mind for a really long time that really make it very hard to go achieve and do amazing things later. So being responsible, being reliable, being a, a trustworthy person, being someone that other people want to be around, other people want to follow, um, I think is more about just being that person yourself and other people will follow naturally. Um, but avoid those third rails, you know, avoid the really bad mistakes and the bad decisions that you see on TV and you hear about way too often and that ruin people's careers. Um, and it sounds like such an, uh, an obvious thing, but it's just a good reminder that some of these mistakes people can make are actually not mistakes. They're bad decisions. And a decision is an, is an active conscious choice um, of someone generally putting themselves in a bad spot. So surround yourself with the right people who are motivated, hardworking, positive, you know, put yourself on a track to do things that you're really excited to do. Uh, not to spend time doing things you're not excited to do and spend the majority of your day challenging yourself. And that challenging yourself, that self-fulfillment refeeds itself and you get this nice, positive, virtuous cycle uh, of motivation, achievement, motivation, achievement. And, and that's, that's how you get that upward spiral you know, of success in almost any part of your life. Yeah, that's such good advice. Just starting with the idea that you can always do more than you think you can. And that once people understand that and they have a confidence that if they engage in the right activities, getting up early, as you said, or doing the things that they're supposed to do on a regular basis, that this reward will be there. People are far more likely to be able to do that, but they've got to have that belief. They've got to have that confidence that Mm -hmm. the reward will be there. And, And oftentimes people don't see it, but they've got to have faith that it's there. And I would reframe the don't screw up into just, you know, make good decisions. And I always try to get people to think about, you know, how would you feel about this looking back on your life when you're older? Mm-hmm. Right? When you're 70, 80 years old, looking back, right? How would you feel about this activity? Would you wish you had done more of this? Right. right? Or would you look back and go, why did I do that? Why did I spend so much time or waste mm-hmm. so much time doing that activity? Right. When I was 20, when I could have invested that time into something that was leading me towards my goals and my vision right. in life. So just, you know, thinking about the decisions that you're making on a day to day basis, because success is an accumulation of small, daily decisions. And when you add those up over five years, 10 years, 15 years, it accumulates into something massive that can either be great mm-hmm. or not great. And it's clear that you, Michael, you know, have made good decisions along your path and continue to move yourself in a positive direction, which has been really amazing. So this podcast, the title is Changing Lives, Changing Lives, Selling Knives. And as you look ahead in your career and in your life, Michael, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? You know, I, I love to teach and I hope no matter where I am that I get a chance to teach people something new every single day. And, you know, a, a tactical thing, I mentioned this a while back, but I'm writing two books and eventually I'll finish them. But, you know, it's like... I'm glad can, to hear that. You can write a book... Yeah, you can write a book as long as you want. It's about finishing the damn book that actually matters. Um, and one of them is, is called value-added leadership. And, and it's the idea of just you have to be able to offer something to others. And you've got to have more to share, more to teach, more to cover. Um, and that's my challenge to myself, that I've got to have enough new content, new material in my brain. So I've got something new to share to other people, you know, all the time. So that, that's just something I use to guide my own self-learning. But, you know, personally, one of my goals is to be a CEO of a company and to be a CEO of a big company, preferably a big, fast-growing company, preferably a big, fast-growing tech company that at some day will go from private to public. And you know, to, to shepherd an organization through that type of chaos and that type of turmoil and, and roller coaster ride, um, you've got to be able to, to share all the things we talked about. 
you know, the thick skinned ability to deal with rejection and to deal with the, the down days, the positivity to be able to stay, you know, on the right track and point the way forward, um, the ability to corral people and align people to a vision. Uh, and of course, the ability to get people who might be 22, 23 years old right out of college to be able to say, holy crap, I can actually go do, I can build a team. I've never built a team before. I can go build a team or I, I've never, you know, sold anything in another country before. But hey, we, we need to launch a new country and we need to send people over there to go figure it out. Um, and that type of confidence comes from having done the little things in the past that build up your confidence along the way to now going and doing the big thing down the line. So, um, I hope I can continue to influence and continue to continue to impact people for a very long time, just thinking about all the topics we, we covered today. Uh, but the last thing I ever want to be is isolated. You know, I don't want to be an expert at something and not being able to share. It. But um, what I'm saying is I want to, I always want to be in front of a big group. And the reason why I want to be in front of big teams is because to me, that's where you achieve great things is by being able to influence the, the largest groups of people possible at the same time. And, you know, again, I think there's a great future to be able to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Michael, you know, when I think of you, I think of somebody who is intense. I think of somebody who is determined. And I also think of somebody who is willing. And I think those are important. It's important to have, you know, that trifecta of qualities to be able to get to the highest level of success that you've reached in your career, because it takes a lot of intensity, you know, to be able to uh, take things to, a, you know, the highest level. It takes mm-hmm. a higher level of intensity than what most people are willing to display. And it takes a lot of determination because there's a whole lot of adversity along the way. There's a whole lot of challenges that come up and you have to be willing to do what it takes. You have to be willing to put in the work. You have to be willing to take the risks. And you have done that. You've taken risks. You put in the work. You've you know worked hard at your game and learning. And all of that has come together for you in such a big way. And I know that we're very proud to count you as an alum of uh, Cutco and Vector and then looking forward to seeing all the great things that you continue to do in the future. So. Thanks so much for being willing to be here today and for your time and your expertise. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you again. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Cassetta, my brother from another mother. I love where he talked about the connection between achieving small goals and being able to achieve the much larger aspirations that we have in life and how it's important to start out by setting and achieving small goals and then gradually you know, up-leveling your objectives, your goals, and your achievements. He talked about learning the true art of influence. And I love the formula, the see, follow, share, right? People should be seeing you setting a positive example. Then they follow in your footsteps and other people see them. And it begins to establish a culture and you share the goals that you have. You share the things you want to accomplish. You share the things you're learning with other people. And that is what multiplies your influence. Cool nuggets about Jack Dorsey, CEO and founder of both Square and Twitter, the concept of living in the future and being able to create a greater level of vision for what's possible in your life, in the world, being a master of clarity and transparency, having zero ego and really encouraging open communication and feedback, creating that feeling that your opinion really matters with the people who are around you in your work. And of course, Michael's last advice about the idea that uh, you can always do more than you might think right now. 
and being able to learn to build your belief and, you know, don't screw up, right? Make good decisions that are moving you in the direction you want to go steadily and surely. And in that process, over five or 10 or 15 years, you can advance very quickly in the world as Michael has done. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.